Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to Game Store Profits, the show where we talk about geekdom and goddom. Goddom a word, Mike? I don't know. My name's Luke Navarro. Uh, I'll call it a word. Yeah, I think it's a word. How about kingdom and geekdom? There you go. That there, sounds oh, better. That's, that rolls that's... off the tongue. If we ever make t-shirts, that's got to be on it. There you go. There you go. All right, Luke. So, you know, as we normally do in the show, we want to talk about what we've been up to. So tell me what, what sort of fun, geeky little things have you been up to lately? You know, not as much as I would hope. There have been some things, but I don't know. I, I think they're geeky. Like, for example, I think spending 10 hours with a master barbecue cook learning his trade. That's geeky. But not typically geeky. So, yeah, I, I uh, went to bar- barbecue camp. That was an awful lot of fun. Otherwise, more traditional geeky stuff. Been playing and failing video games. Failing? Oh, please explain. Three games that I completely expected to love that I basically gave up on three hours in. Ooh. Okay, so first game, way behind on. but I, And I know it. I, I just don't care because it's not really the kind of game that I like. That is Call of Duty Black Ops. So, last year I do 52 Weeks of Geek, right? Yes. 52 video games in one year, in addition to 52 movies, 52 books. The first game I played, and really the first game I played after I got my Xbox 360, was Call of Duty, right? That's a good game. And so I sit down with Call of Duty, what now, almost two years ago, and I put it in, and the first level, right, is this... um. It's like a training run you have to go through, and at the end of the training run, it tells you what level of difficulty you're supposed to play on. (laughs) I see where this is going. Yeah, so I run through, and it basically tells me to play on, like, you know, infant girl. That's that's about where I'm at. But by the time I'm done with the year, right, I'm like, I could totally school this game. 52 games in this year, I've got skills now. So I finally come back to Call of Duty Black Ops, and now it's not a challenge for me. And what's interesting is when it wasn't such an intense challenge, I actually got to stop and look at the game and go, I don't like this at all. <laughs> this is not fun for me to have somebody yelling and screaming and telling you to go here and go there and please, please, please cover mechanic, cover mechanic, please. So, yeah, I played uh, Call of Duty Black Ops, didn't like it. I realized that there's another Call of Duty coming out in, like, a couple of days. I Just not not my world. However, two games that I totally expected were going to be my world that I didn't like. First, Bastion. Downloaded, tried to play Bastion. I kind of, kind of enjoyed it, just never really clicked into it. Never yeah, really I, I would ag- that it was amazing. I would agree. I've never, I mean, I never got Bastion, like, the full thing, but I kind of messed around with it a little bit. And it was getting great hype. Everyone was talking about it, but it it really wasn't my thing either. Yeah. And the second game, or the third game, I guess, that I've played recently that I I literally sent back after like four hours was Deus Ex Human Revolution. And I thought for sure I was going to love this game. That that is surprising. I haven't played it, so I mean... I, I've but again, that's another game where I've heard nothing but good things about everything that's going on with Deus Ex. I mean, it's a good franchise, and people have been saying that it's a really good game. All right, so here's the thing: the cool thing, the thing I love about the game, is that you can choose how to play. And if you're going to give me a choice to choose how to play, I am always going to go some variation of stealth snipe. 
right? I'm going to play like a ranger. I'm going to play like a thief. I'm going to play like a spy, something like that, because that's the way I like to play. I like that, like super intense that I know that as soon as somebody sees me, I'm a dead man. Right. I love that. I like that. I don't like having to run around and shoot at 50,000 people with bullets coming at me from every direction. I like the more cerebral planning everywhere I'm going kind of a thing. And you can do that in Deus Ex. And as you augment yourself, you add, you can level up by adding new abilities. For example, the ability to know how much noise you're making or the ability to walk silently, those kind of things. So I'm leveling up, leveling up stealthy stuff, right? Yeah, I'm really curious here, Luke, because from the way you're talking about it, it seems pretty awesome. Until you get to the boss battle and you got to shoot the dude. There's no getting around it. I I have no armor because if you're stealth with armor, you suck. I have no guns because I just walk up to you and strangle you and the only other gun i have is a sniper rifle and you snipe the guy in the head he's not wearing a helmet and he just looks at you and chucks bombs at you drove me crazy spent an hour on this stupid boss battle finally got angry sent it back well you want to know what actually now that you mentioned that as soon as you talk about that i'm I'm reminded of uh the guys from penny arcade did a comic strip they did a whole strip on that fact because uh What's it called? Gabe, the, both the character and the real guy, um, had this really difficult thing. Like he had, a, he was basically making a, a comp sci kind of guy. Like I can hack every computer on right, the planet. Right. I, I'm not, I'm not, not much for fighting, but I can hack every turret in the place to kill the bad guys for me. And then he said, "Yeah, I got to the end, and there's this giant man who wants to kill me, and I'm screwed. So unless you went with the, you know." Super All tough out, armor, super armor, super shooty guys, mega gun. Right. You're, you're in trouble. <laughs> yep. So I, I, I don't even know how far in I got. I suppose I, I. Let's put it that way. I didn't even get to the point where I was like, I'm gonna look this up on a, a guide on IGN or something. I'm just like, this made me so angry. I'm done. Off we go. And uh, so yeah, those are the geeky things that I've been doing. But here's the good news, my friend. Winter is coming. <laughs> and with winter comes good video games. Well, fall, I, winter, holiday. I, I, I just love the fact that winter is coming in light of the fact that, you know, George R.R. R. Martin has put out the new book and everything like that. And the, the HBO series has become such a hit. I love the fact that winter is coming has become such an epic statement. <laughs> L- let me ask you this. You follow me on Facebook. Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. Did you see that I posted a picture of my child's art? Yes, I did. Now, I recognize that most people that aren't named Navarro have no interest whatsoever in my children's art. However, this one, <laughs> this one, you might have fun with. Let's just say it has something to do with Vincent Van Gogh. Nice. All right, Mike, so what have you been doing in your geeky world, the uber-geeky world of Mike Perna? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I can't say that I've been uber-geeky. This has been a very long, very taxing week at work and everything like that. Stupid work. I know, silly day jobs. I want people to pay me for, you know, talking about God and and uh doing geeky stuff and writing. Can I can I do that? But anyway, it depends uh, on how much you want to get paid. <laughs> that's very true, very true. But I'll give you I, 99 I, cents once a year. I'm down. Until until I find that patron who will be willing to, you know, let me do what I do. Uh I I've been kind of limited. My my gaming, I, I have picked up a little bit of fun times with the wonderful sandbox that is Minecraft. Um, 
Minecraft, for those of you who might not know, is a game that has no point, really. <laughs> it it really does. I People have asked me when I say I play Minecraft, they ask you, like, oh, what's the point? I go, you survive, you build houses, and run away from bad guys. That's all you do. And because it's, it's pretty much a sandbox where you go around, you, you mine stuff, and you're hunting for materials like wood and stone and various metals, and you're... So, so yeah, so Minecraft, you're, you're just wandering around this randomly generated world looking for stuff and then building stuff. And there is no point. It doesn't end. You just keep building. And if you get bored, you say, build a new world, and you start over again. For people who are really goal-oriented, it's a horrible waste of your time. For guys like me, <laughs> I, I think I've, I've created, like, dozens of worlds and build everything from castles. And currently, I have a beach house with a workshop and a chapel. Yes, I built myself a chapel. The Church of Mike. It's, I mean, it's really cool, and maybe at some point I'll find some kind of program that will let me make video of it, and I'll show you guys how awesome my stuff is. But, other than that, I've one thing that I've really gotten excited about is uh, something that, that you actually turned me on to from Guys Can Read. Okay. Little thing called audible.com. Ah, uh, we love Audible. Audibletrial.com slash GCR. There you go. Sorry, wrong show. Hey, no, 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 no. You'll plug it. That's fine. I'm all for supporting guys can read. It's a wonderful cause. What I will say, however, is that, you know, I, I, I just signed up again. I had budget reasons. I had to stop getting on it for a while. But I, I was just called by, oh, if I sign up again, I can start getting free ebooks to listen to at work. Okay. Can I give you the secret that I can tell you on Game Store Profits, but I can't say on Guys Can Read? Oh, I know what you're going to say. So here's what you do. You sign up, <laughs> you pay for a month, you put your account on hold. You put your account on hold, it automatically puts your account for three months. You still have access to all of your audiobooks, and here's the key, you can still buy audiobooks. So, periodically, they have the $4.99 sale, or $4.95, I think it is. So. <laughs> and I bought four books only because it was going to take me forever to listen to those four books and so I didn't buy more there were in this particular set of books on sale for 4.95 there were 13 books for 5 bucks a piece that I wanted nice as opposed to the 15 bucks a month that you normally pay you buy the books for 5 bucks all right don't tell audible i said <laughs> What I, what I will say is is that I got I got two books at this last go around. I re-upped and I got two books. Um, one of them is a book that I had already read, okay. And another another one is a book that I had heard nothing but good things about. Everyone who who's anyone in the geek world has said that it's the greatest book ever, and I had to get it. The first one is the tenth anniversary edition of American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Cool. I actually listened to American Gods in audiobook format from Audible some long time ago. I love this book. It is I can't say it's the first uh gaming book that I've I've bought and tore it tore through, but it's probably my favorite. I was just talking to somebody at work today that I would argue that American Gods is probably one of my top five fiction books of all time. I could totally I could totally agree with you on that. It's the uh, best Gaiman, no question. And I think Gaiman's the best speculative fiction writer writing right now. Absolutely. I, now, for those of you listening, because we are a show, and I do feel a responsibility for saying this, it's rough. 
there is some stuff on here that is hard to deal with. Unless you have a moral thick skin, you don't want to read this book. Right. There is there is some stuff in here, but it's not... And it not, will happen on, like, page one. Y- yeah. It's not for no good reason. It's not, you know, being graphic for graphic's sake, but it's there, and I feel like putting that disclaimer. I would... Other, if it weren't for this, I would universally tell everyone I know this book is awesome. But because of that, I would tell you it is good, but be careful. If you if you struggle with any kind of, of problem, especially with like sexual sin and everything like that, this is not a book for you. But it is incredibly well written. And I, I at first I was a little leery because of the fact that I already own this book. And so I go, ah, do I really need to get this book and listen to it? There were a couple things that that swayed me. Thing one was that it was a full cast audiobook. So it's not just like the one reader who sits down and reads all the characters. This is a full cast. In fact, at the, the end of the book, they go through it. And I lost track of how many different people were involved in recording this book. And it's well done. And I'm, it's really well put together. And for that reason alone, I think it's worth it. The reason I particularly was excited about the fact that this is the 10th anniversary edition is that Gaiman put bonus content. Ooh, DLC? (laughs) It's the book version of DLC. There's a whole section of stuff that, for one reason or another, he he chose not to put in the book that he added on. And he's still, even when he put that edition out, he thought about putting it back in the book but decided against it, but thought it was worthy enough that people should hear it slash read it, even if it's not in the story. Oddly enough, the th- for those of you who don't know the, co- the concept of American gods, the whole idea is, is that uh, when people would come to this country, when people would immigrate to this country, they would bring their gods with them. Right. And so literally running around the world here in America, you have gods, old gods, uh, like from the Norse pantheon, the Greek pantheon, guys who, you know, for the world over in, in your history books, you'll see that people from all different countries all over the world have been worshiping these guys. Right. So when and they not, not only worship, here, but but also cultural phenomena. Yes, there are there are some cultural icons in there as well. Right. And so there are these personifications of these gods, and they even say that it's not like the one; it's one of. And it that it's really complicated and really awesome. Yeah, and the idea to... is sort of like these gods come into existence wherever they are acknowledged. Right. Right. There is like a local incarnation of whatever deity uh, is being worshipped, and that I mean that even can be argued from the historical biblical perspective because there are there is an idea of a local deity, like people from this nation would worship this god, and there's a reason why in the Old Testament and things like that you start seeing people say the God of Israel. Right. Because the idea of a a localized, this God is for us deity is old school. But the the really cool thing about this book is, is that not only do you have these old gods, you have new gods. And the new American gods are things like uh, credit, technology, media, and all sorts of stuff like that. All sorts of things that, any any theologian would argue are things that we place as modern Americans, we will place them as gods in our eyes. And this personifies them. 
And it's amazing. There's this whole big conflict between the old gods warring with the new gods, and there's all sorts of twists and turns, which would take me three hours to discuss with you. I, I It's really well done, and I'm really psyched about it. But in the new content, the main character, Shadow, meets Jesus. Jesus was not in the original text. No. I mean, he gets mentioned once or twice, but he's never in it. But these are old world gods, not... Well, no, I guess there are plenty of ancient Near East gods as well. I think yes, he there are. skipped it so that he wouldn't get slammed. It, I think it's part that, and I think he also acknowledges the fact that it's it's a touchy subject. Right. I mean, a lot of the gods and, and well, things and like there that are he's no touching other, on. I, he, in fact, there, I don't think there were any allusions to any, for lack of a better term, living gods. Gods right. that are still That are still worshipped, worshipped actively. Right. No, everything, everything is old world gods, because the idea is, other than the quote-unquote new gods in this book, Right. All the old gods are gods that people have stopped worshipping. So we're talking like and, the Egyptian gods and... Right. Several Egyptian gods show uh, up, Norse, Norse gods, gods, Greek gods, African gods. Right. You know, all sorts of... of, of they even bring in things like the Morrigan, which is a Celtic deity. Mm-hmm. All sorts of stuff comes into it. It's awesome. But the the when I listen to the story about the main character Shadow meeting Jesus... He's never like, hello, I'm Jesus. You know, it's this simple guy in jeans and a baseball cap. He's talking about, you know, just really simple things. He's speaking plainly. And it's all illusion. It's all, he noticed like chisel marks on his hands and things like that. And the stuff that that Jesus says in there is worth reading. I'm not going to go into it because that that's a topic for a whole other thing that it could be taking out, taken out of the context of the book. Some of the things that the that Jesus says in this story seem horribly wrong, but within the context of this story, are very interesting and thought provoking. If you want, feel free on our Facebook page or or email me or anything like that. Talk to me about it. I will gladly go over the, the way I think this is awesome. But I would I would challenge you to read that little addendum as part of the book. Because if you read it outside of that book, it's going to be horrible. Right. Uh, and so between that added content and there was even a thing that, that Gaiman uh, actually read by him, which is exciting. It was talking about the process of, of writing it and how can you be an Englishman and write about American culture. And he even brought up the fact that he was not this uh, American Gods was not the first time he did that. Sandman, the comic book that he that he's responsible for Sandman almost entirely takes place in America. And so you get this whole different, and he, he talks about the, the idea of, of having that national identity, the place of American mythology, which is something that people don't necessarily associate with America. They think of it as some, some other countries have this epic mythology, but America lacks it. And he says, no, no, it's there, it's just different from what you see somewhere else. And so, having him talk about that, it's definitely, it's awesome. Like I said, plenty of disclaimers about this book uh, for language and sexual content and a little bit of violence, but a really well-written book, really thought-provoking. I love a book that will get you not only really enjoying it, but will also like that will evoke strong emotion. You love it, you hate it, 
you're frustrated, you're confused, but not not confused and just left out there. You're confused and and the author brings you along. I love it. And it's really well done. So that was the first one. The other one, which kind of um you know, we're gonna use as kind of the jumping off point for the rest of this episode, is a, a geek tome. I I, I, cu- I couldn't th- come up with any kind of more epic term for it, but this is not just a book. This is a tome. This is a handbook, a guide for geekdom in a fiction world. It is a book called Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Okay, I know I've heard the name, but don't know much about the book. Ready Player One takes place in the fairly near future. It takes place around 2044. And in 2044... There's enough of a past that, you know, we're, we're into this. We understand what's going on, but there's a cer- certain key differences, certain upgrades, shall we say, and certain downgrades. Imagine, if you will, the recession that we're currently in lasts for another three decades. Oh, goody. Yeah. And so the world is just, for lack of a better term, the world has gone to hell. And as bad as things are now, they even get worse. And it's, you know, the main character lives... He starts off anyway, living in this thing called a stack. And a stack is pretty much a trailer park where they decided, oh, you know what? We can put more people here if we stack the mobile homes on top of each other. So it's mobile home high rises. Gotcha. And these things are all over the world. Now, so things are pretty dark. Things are pretty bleak. However, there is this one kind of escape. It's called the Oasis. The Oasis is this completely uh, uh, immersive virtual reality created by these two guys who started off as just a a game company. They really liked code, they really loved games, and they wanted to make games. They got successful making games, and then they, they decided that they wanted to go to the next level. And the next level is the Oasis, where people pretty much insert themselves into this virtual reality. And at first, it just starts out like a game. It starts out like an MMO. But after a while, people realize that there's something really powerful here. And so their entire lives get brought into this virtual reality. Shops, schools, everything is done inside this virtual reality. Well, the story goes along that the guy who created this this oasis, one of the guys, dies. And he has no family. He has no heirs. He's just there. And he dies. So instead of having the company just being fought over, he decides that he, he's so passionate about this, this game and what he's created and this virtual world that he builds into the code Easter eggs. Easter eggs being something that you, know, you don't know unless you're looking for it. It's not obvious, but if you look hard enough, you can find it. So there are three keys and three gates. The idea is is that if you find these keys and you unlock these gates, the first person to do that gets the company, gets control of Oasis, and gets the company. So, cool premise. Obviously, people are going after this, and at first, I got this very solid vibe of this is Willy Wonka for a gamer, is what this is, right? But it's so much more than that because Willy Wonka is oh, let's spend a day in my factory. No, no. Mm -hmm. The plot line of this spans over years. The first key, the very first key, which is the pretty early on in the story, takes five years of searching before anyone can get it. And it's all these obscure things about the things that the creator of this this world 
or I shouldn't even say world, it's several thousands of worlds, this universe, this virtual universe. It's all stuff that he's passionate about. So it's all stuff like he, he really into coin-operated arcade games and, and movies from the 80s, especially John Hughes films and stuff <laughs> like And, oh my goodness, and just there's all sorts of computer games and nerd stuff and everything that, that we as geeks adore is it made real, quote unquote, in this in this virtual universe. It's like the Gnostic that's nerd. Pretty much, I'm, that's, that's awesome because yes, that's pretty much exactly it is. Because you get guys the, the 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 creator's last name is Halliday, and so you get guys who become Halliday scholars, right? And seeking out whatever knowledge they can find. They to... they com- they completely forsake all other responsibilities in their life. Their whole goal in their existence is to find Halliday's egg. And so you you get the the book is awesome because it takes several different it takes lots of different sides of it in the fact that you've got the guys who are really passionate about the same thing that Halliday was passionate about. You get the guys who who pretty much lift up I won't say they lift Halliday up as a god, but pretty close. They really do idolize this man. And so they they love the same stuff that he loves. If Halliday said that he liked it, they love it. They search for it. They practice it. Um, they are called the Gunters, and it, it explains in the story why they're called the Gunters. But th- you just need to know that they're called Gunters. They're the people who love what Halliday loves and want to find the Easter egg so that they can continue on his work. Right. Uh, on the other side of the conflict are these guys called the Sixers. The Sixers are pretty much corporate avatars. I love it. True believers versus corporate uh, might. There you go. Right, and now. So there's this giant corporation who wants to take the Oasis because the Oasis has always been free yep. because Halliday believed that it should be in the hands of everyone. But this corporation decides, oh, could you imagine we could put a monthly fee on it? We could get luxury items that you pay for and things like that. And they're, they're looking to, to basically monetize the Oasis. Yep. Halliday always thought it should be free. These guys say, if we charge a subscription fee and everything like that. So all the Gunters start going, if they get their hands on it, None of us will be able to play anymore. We won't be able to afford it. We're basically getting kicked out of the Oasis. And so a lot of the plot line becomes the Gunters versus the Sixers. They, they get the name Sixers because most of the corporate avatars, they don't have names. They go by their employee ID numbers, most of which are six-digit numbers starting with the number six. So they get called the Sixers. Now, the Sixers have all the the best things that the, the game can have, all the vehicles, all the weapons, all the stuff like that. But the Gunters, you know, just have that heart that, that we want that we want to keep the Oasis for the people. We want to keep Halliday's dream. And I kid you not, I geeked out every five seconds listening to this. One, because it's narrated by Will Wheat. Always good. And, and it must be, must have been really interesting for him because at one point they, they talk about elections that happen in the Oasis and the elections that happen in the Oasis are about the guys who pretty much guard the user's rights. And mm-hmm. so Cory Doctorow and, and Will Wheaton are listed by the main character as these geezers who know what's best for us. <laughs> the geezers, I love it. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I mean, it's great. Um... But anyway, it's, it's, it's so great. There are so many references. And now, granted, I caught some that your average person is not going to catch. Like, the very first time that Wade, who's the main character, logs in to the Oasis, he has to say his password phrase. And his password phrase 
is the the phrase that is starting the game on the movie The Last Starfighter. Okay. Which is an 80s classic. Okay. And there's a game in the the movie The Last Starfighter and when you turn it on it says this line and that's his password phrase. So I, 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 from word go I'm like, "Oh my goodness, this is my book." Nice. And the references do not stop there. I couldn't I can't mention all of them because so many of them are tied up into finding the keys and mm-hmm. finding the gates. But it's so amazing. If you've it, yeah, it, this is geek awesomeness. Like at one point they go and they play Zork, which is an old school text-based game. Um I wish I was ch- I wish I was like alive in computing when Zork was Zork. When Zork was the the newest and, and I mean, best you can go play ever. Zork now. Not the same. It's not the same. Get lamp. That's all I have to say. Yeah. But anyway, it's 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 so great, and I I absolutely love it. But it got me thinking a lot about the the whole idea of a fully immersible virtual world, and the idea that because there's one part where the main character this is way down the line, but the main character pretty much says, uh, "I hadn't seen the sun for like six months." Right. Now I don't know about you, Luke, but I play games when I can. And there have been times when I haven't had as many responsibilities as I do today. And I, I will joke and say, ha ha, I haven't seen the sun in like, a, in like a week. Right. I'll joke that way. And pretty much everyone laughs along and says, ha ha, yeah, I've been playing a lot too. This guy says, I haven't seen the sun in six months. And that's not hyperbole. He hadn't seen the sun, the real honest to goodness sun, in six months months he hadn't left the oasis for more than minutes in six months he there's one part where he talks about the fact that you could even order food to be delivered to your house in the oasis and it arrives in real life okay so you know the day that skynet goes active (laughs) it's coming in early 2012 when diablo 3 comes out Mm. because for the first time in a major game, you will theoretically be able to earn money playing Diablo 3. Yep. I honestly think that if there weren't the need for people to have money to play games, if people if there could be a legit economy built from gaming, there would be a mass of people who never leave their world. Oh, absolutely. Reading this to me is a lot like uh, reading 1984. Right. If I was reading 1984 when it was originally written, as right. opposed to reading it in the 90s when I did. It has that very vi- that vibe of, oh my goodness, I can easily see us going here. Right. And that terrifies me. And so, I mean, you get to the point when, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a point when one character looks at the other and and... Pretty much shuts down. He was trying to, to, he has his crush. Let's just put it this way. He has his crush on this other Gunter. And this other Gunter is like legend. She's, she starts a blog and she's got pictures, but it's all the avatar because no one knows who anybody, what anybody looks like in real life. So it's all avatars. And so he falls in love with this girl and he meets her in the game and he falls even more in love with this girl once he starts talking to her and they start going out in the Oasis. And at one point he says, you know, I love you. And she goes, you don't even know me. And I just, I had that moment just of, of, oh, he doesn't. 
he spent months hanging out with this girl, but it's not her. It's an avatar. It's a glorified, fictitious version of ourselves. And, you know, it just, I, I just start, I'm continually reminded of the danger of finding your reality in a virtual world. Yeah, I don't know, though. I mean, it's an interesting conversation to have. Another book that I can talk about that that has a similar vibe is a book by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash. And in Snow Crash, there is something called the metaverse. The difference, well, maybe not difference, I'm not sure, but the metaverse is essentially a parallel existence to what we have. But each person in the metaverse is analogous to a human. So, in other words, you're living in both places, but you're always you. Does that make sense? Right. Rather than you get to go and log on and create your character and you play that character. Uh, business is done there, and relationships continue, and it's a, you know, sort of a 3D virtual world kind of a thing. And I think that there's going to come a point where we exist. It, it's It's going to become a communication medium, right? Not that it's going to be, oh, we have this dual identity kind of a thing, but that there will be a parallel world working alongside of ours where we can do stuff, but it's still us doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I I, I don't, you know, keep in mind, I I don't want to completely knock virtual worlds. I, I think there is value to being able to communicate and interact with folks that, you know, are in other parts of the world. I mean, I I admitted that I played World of Warcraft. I played it for like two years, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love talking with the guys that I I played with, most of whom I've never met in real life. There is a place for that. And heck, we're even talking about the fact that we want to have a, when uh, Old Republic comes out, we want to have a a Game Store Profits Guild on, on that. So, I mean, there's place for virtual stuff, but I think the danger comes in the fact that there's too much. The, the big thing that gets stressed is the anonymity of the internet, right? Yeah, and it's a it's a key it's a key thing all throughout the story of Ready Player One is the idea of the anonymity of the internet. You can be who you want to be, right. and not to give away too much, but it takes place on a number of different levels. One that I can give you because it's not it's not going to spoil too much, and you know you it can uh, imagine it's coming. At one point, the big evil corporation finds out where Wade lives. They find out his real name, they find out where he goes to school, and it's a shock to his system because the big thing about the Oasis is no one's supposed to know who you are. Right. And and so that actually that actually leads to him getting into a lot of trouble because they actually start coming after him in the real world. And it's there's so much stuff going on with that, but just this idea of of when anonymity comes to play you can craft yourself. You don't necessarily have to. In fact, when I play online games, depending on the situation, there are some online games I play me. Right. I'm me. But even even at that point, I'm not actually me. I'm the glorified, pumped up, awesome version of me. And one of the characters even says, she goes, I don't like talking because it's easier for me to control what I say when I type it. And so she only communicates via text messages. When video messages are, are all flashing over their screens, she will only communicate in text messages because she wants to be careful about what she says to pretty much guard her actual personality, her actual identity. And I think as long as that's present, it becomes dangerous to to find your reality in a virtual world. Yeah, that I agree with. 
the the difference between finding your existence in an alternative character and sharing or experiencing a life as yourself online for me that's a significant line that's a significant difference that said i i get it uh, i am one of those people who will spend an awful lot of time in a game world assuming it's the right game world you know you talked about uh the old republic i'm going to spend a lot of hours in the old republic <laughs> uh sooner than that uh and this is not a a shared game world but Skyrim is coming out in about a month, month and a half. Yes. I will spend an awful lot of time in Skyrim because I love exploring those worlds. And I think that there is something significant about that because there is a sense in which we have no world left to explore. It's not really true. Each of us as individuals can still go out and experience the world. but. There is this sense in which imaginary worlds are the only place we have left to go and find new stuff. And, so, like a, a like a last frontier kind of right, idea. exactly. And you know, so for me, I I I fully admit that I am I am prone to the lure of imaginary worlds. Well, I think the big thing, the the difference between just. I, I like spending time in a virtual world and some of the dangers that I, I'm, I'm kind of worried about is the idea of uh, escapism versus running, as it were. <laughs> There's a difference between vacationing and, and just running away. Let's put it that way, into virtual, into virtual worlds. I'm all for taking little vacations. Like, sometimes life just stinks. It really does. Things get you down. And you want to go and be powerful and slay dragons and, you know, save the universe and other things like that. I'm all for that. I'm all for doing that for a good chunk of time. But the difference is, and this plays out in the book as well, the difference between that and my life is horrible and I don't want to live it. So rather than fix what's happening here, I want to be someone else. And a lot of that shows up in this, this, book in the fact that several of the characters their lives they hate their lives they hate their lives they think they're useless and so they go onto this game to feel important and the idea of hunting for the egg becomes their life goal in the fact not not just wouldn't that be awesome or think of what i can do with the money or things like that literally they decide that this is it and at one point one of the characters the Oasis, they, they think they're going to lose. They think the Sixers have won and the Oasis will be taken, taken away from them. And so he, he thinks about the fact that if the Oasis is taken away from him, he's going to turn off his system, walk outside, and jump off his balcony. Because there's nothing left for him if the Oasis is taken away. And that's my fear when we put too much stake in these virtual made-up worlds. All right, so let's take the twist and get spiritual in this thing. Because I think we can Oh, easily. And, and in a way that maybe people aren't going to expect. What we're talking about here is valuing physicality. It's valuing present. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, as Christians, we can occasionally devalue our physicality. Oh, oftentimes we do. And we live in a fantasy world, except we call our fantasy world heaven. We, we talk about how this life is not for us. 
We talk about how there is nothing in this world for us, and we will be living forever in eternity. Completely accurate. We will be living forever in eternity with God, but we sometimes allow ourselves some of the same mistakes that, obviously it's a different situation, but some of the same attitudes that someone who is spending their life living in a virtual game world would do. Well, yeah, I mean, even even if you if you take the I, the jumping point would be to take something that is biblical and we've taken it into weird, not accurate places. The best place I could think of to start with that would be talking about the idea of the flesh, right? Exactly. All throughout all throughout Scripture, whenever you hear about something done in the flesh or he listened to his flesh or things like that, it is always in the negative. So we we have this idea of taking the word flesh and making and it physical a, and making and, and saying, yeah, it, it's anything that's physical is bad. And if we're really super spiritual, we don't care about that physical stuff. And that's jumping off that word, which that's true. The word for flesh does mean flesh, but I think we're assigning too much to that. There, a, a biblical term that is used to talk about all the stuff of this world that takes us away from God is not necessarily limited to physical stuff. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, we, we don't do that the other way around. The Bible talks about heart all the time. In fact, it's actually talking about stomach most of the time. But, right. but in either case, we don't take it to mean the literal organ. We take it to mean right. that which we are passionate about, that which we love, that which, which speaks to our soul, whatever. You know, we don't take that literally. And we either have a heart for God or a heart that is against God. Right. But we've taken this idea of the flesh, meaning anything that's physical. And, you know, people will say, oh, that, you know, that doesn't, I don't really think that way. And then you start bringing up things that are biblical and just see the reaction. Things like this. We always talk about spending eternity in heaven. I would, point you, in heaven. I would point you to Revelation where it says that we have a new heaven and new earth let's be spending eternity in the eternal kingdom Absolutely. where heaven and earth are bound together mm-hmm. we will be living in a world a lot like ours only not fallen take sin away from our world and there you go there you go now now you say that and it's biblical it's in there and but people don't know how to wrap their hands around that because their heads around that because they've come up with this idea that we're going to be in heaven and fluffy clouds and and, you know, golden gates and, you know, God's in the middle is a bright light and we're all just, you know, playing harps and singing songs. Whether you, you, you plan on having that idea or not, people do. And when you realize that flesh is going to be a part, not flesh as in the context of everything that takes you away from God, but flesh as in our physicality, it's still a part of existence in heaven. I cite the, the best example of this has to be when Christ rose, Christ rose physically, Christ rose Tomb was empty. and showed up. Not only did he rise, he rose with the wounds still intact. Those wounds were still there. So I, I, I don't know where we've gotten this idea that our, our physicality doesn't matter. Our, that our personhood is not wrapped up somehow in our flesh as well. Well, we can take that a little bit farther to say that... It- the idea that we have a dualistic view on the world, that is, that there are some parts of the world that are flesh and some parts of the world that are spirit, really, not there. 
there are many times in Scripture where flesh and spirit, flesh and heart, flesh and mind are used as terms. But they're really just describing the natural usage of the word. When we're trying to, when we're trying to discuss uh, the way we think, we use mm-hmm. mind. And like you, you already mentioned, flesh is often used as that things, those things which turn us away from God. But we have this idea that there is some sort of inherent separation between physical and spiritual. That the spiritual can exist without the physical. And that that's really not there. At least it's not there for eternity. Right. You're not supposed to exist spiritually without your physical body. That's not the whole state. That's not the way God wanted. There's a reason to be. that at the resurrection we will have our bodies. We we will be right. fully resurrected. Right. Like I said, eternity is a material place. And you know, there's lots of stuff that can be argued, and, and it really this book makes you think. It's not just Geek Fest, you know, 2011. It it does have a lot of philosophical stuff that gets into, because at one point they're arguing, and I'll bring back that relationship that I shared with you, cause, and it's it's interesting because she says, you don't know me, we've never been in the same place, you don't know my real name, you don't know where I live, we don't know each other. And his return to that in the book is something along the lines of, I don't care what you look like, I don't have any, you know, I don't need any of that stuff. I know that I love you. I've fallen in love with your mind, your passion, what you do, what you think. I've fallen in love with that. And so there are people who will say that you can't fully separate those things. And I think I would fall in that camp. I would say that there's no way that you, you know, it's, it's nice to say. It's nice to say, oh, I don't care about the physical. It's no big deal to me. But in a lot of ways, it, you know, it kind of is, you know, if you show up and you're expecting one thing and you actually meet the person, then they're completely different. At the very least, at the bare minimum, you get that, oh, hi, <laughs> you get that shock. And at the at the worst, you know, all that stuff that you said is so valuable and so important to you becomes overshadowed by the fact that you don't, you, you, there's something unnerving about the physicality. But at the same point, I want there to be that that whole idea of get getting away from the distractions of whether someone's pretty enough or you know that sort of very very that that facade that people try to put up and really try to get to the the, the meat of things, the meat of a person's. Well, I, I really wanted I, I want to take this into a more positive view. Please do. Okay, and that is. And then, you know, we've been talking about how, you know, people have, have, have misunderstood this and all of that, that, but, but let's just, let's just say it like this, the flesh, your, the, the, your body and your material existence is a thing of beauty, Mm -hmm. whatever it might happen to look like. And the flesh, the body, the material existence of the people that you love, the people that you live amongst, and the people who fill this world is a beautiful thing that deserves as much adoration and as much care as we give to our thoughts. I mean, we, we love thoughts. Humanity loves thoughts. We got whole libraries full mm-hmm. of thoughts. But this body that God gave us deserves to be appreciated. It deserves to be cared for and loved and valued. And in, you know... In your own case, you know that the idea that your body is sacred is significant. well. There, there are some passages that are always going to be brought up, and they, 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 
they almost reach that that hallmark level of cliche, but they do so because, and they get repeated so often, because it's truth. The idea that that God knows every hair on your head. Everyone brings that up. But have you, if you really contemplate that, if you really contemplate the full effect of what that means, that this, pretty much if you break it down, the smallest detail of your physicality, God knows and God crafted and God loves. It goes beyond just, oh, yes, you as a, you know, it's, it's an entire, an entire person, not just the physical, not just the mental. It is everything that is you. God knows and God adores. And that includes every tiny little imperfection that you've thought of is so horrible. God knows it and God loves it and God has lovingly crafted us since before we were even crafted in the in the womb God has known of us and you know I agree with you I think that, that that is a beautiful and wonderful thing and if we really spent more time thinking about that a lot of the other problems that we find ourselves in with with people just having this horrible view of themselves and even having a horrible view of others and all that I I think that so much of it will be taken away if you understand just Oh, I totally Just the agree. idea that not just part of you, God, God, God really loves me except for the fact that I have this. No, no, God loves everything. I gotta tell you, I, I've spent an awful lot of time in the counseling chamber, and a lot of that time could be solved if we simply taught more thoroughly and more often that the body we have isn't wrong. It's not evil. and Yet, for whatever reason, even now, even I mean, we, I don't. We don't live in in puritanical, old fashioned world anymore. I mean, that's that's gone, man. But we still we still carry those things, and especially in relationships. One in, in our understanding of ourselves and our viewpoint of ourselves, but also in our relationships with those who we're closest with. If we could just get the idea that the body isn't bad. So much could be healed. Yeah, I mean, I've I've spent some uh, some serious time reading over and and doing different events and and speaking for this organization. Uh, it's a group that focuses on on depression and suicide and this horrible. I don't even know what to call it. it it's it's a it the the just the act of what's called cutting when you can't right. feel anything, so you take a blade to your skin so that you can feel something to understand that you're alive. Uh, the organization is called to write love on her arms and they spend so much time just trying to bring them. I don't know if they're a Christian organization or not. I've heard different things about whatever. I don't care. I love what these people do. These people, they set up all sorts of suicide prevention stuff. They have major events. And the whole idea is, is that they want you to realize that no matter how bad you think you are, that there are people who care. That there are people who care and who love you and support you. So every once in a while, they'll do these days where they, 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 they'll put it up on Facebook or something like that, and they'll say, on this day, we want everybody all throughout the country to physically write the word love on your arm and just have that there for, throughout the day so that anytime anybody asks you, why do you have love written on, on your arm, you can tell them. And I, every time that thing comes across my email saying we're doing it on this day, I always do it. And I always write it in giant freaking letters across the entirety of my forearm, usually both arms, because 
that was me. Growing up, that was me. I, I thought that I was useless and wrong and just everything about me just just sucked. And I didn't know about God and I didn't know how much he cared for me. I thought I was broken and just beat up and useless. And it wasn't until people started really telling me about how much God cared for me and how much God loved me that I began to look past that, that I began to not only see that God just doesn't tolerate me, that God loves me. Whether I, I look a certain way, whether I have certain aspects about me, it doesn't matter. God still loves me. And I think that so many times we get caught up in what we should be, what we have this idea of what we, what we, what we wish we could be, that we forget how, how amazing it is that we are. Just that right. You shouldn't be anything. You are what God mm-hmm. made you. And I, yeah, I, I can't get over that. Like I, there was a, the, the last time I remember doing it, that I, I had a huge, that it had a big impact on somebody was I, our church did a kind of like a talent show thing, but I don't want you to get the idea of like your, your what normally comes to mind when you think of church talent show. Uh, it was the, pretty much the, the, the two, two of the most creative, wonderful people in our church decided that they wanted to recruit their buddies who are also talented and gifted in artist, artistic endeavors. And they wanted to gather us all together and put on a show, just showcasing all the, the different things that we do to the glory of God. For some reason, I got invited. Um, I got invited for to do poetry. And I tried to give a, a big, wide gambit of all, or gambit, I should say, of all the different stuff that I've written. And right in the middle of it, it was right on the, one of those days that I got told, write love on your arms. And I found out that lots of people there did it too. But I wanted to write an original piece for that show, and I wrote one called 17 Minutes. And honestly, in a lot of ways, like I don't, most of my writing recently has been in prose, but I have to say that writing that poem, has, I mean, it's it's one of my favorite poems to do, but it hurts to do it because what it, what happened was is that I, I seen a statistic earlier that week that said that every 17 minutes in this country, somebody kills themselves. And it wasn't that long ago, so I'm guessing the statistic is still fairly accurate. Every 17 minutes, someone has killed themselves. And so the poem, the very first line of my poem was, in 17 minutes, she will become a statistic. And one of the major things that that God used to to really show me that not only did I enjoy ministry, is it something that I, I like doing and I look forward to doing, one of the reasons that God really showed me that I was called to ministry was that, was that I am, because I almost was a statistic myself. And it was that God showed me that, that I had value, that I was important, that I was, that I was loved by the creator of the universe, that I was able to see that I, I didn't want to be just a statistic. I was more than just a number, that the, the God of the universe chose me to be a son and heir. You tie that all together and I, I refuse to allow the fact that there is there's the that anyone listening here now would be able to think that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love them, that every aspect of their existence, their thoughts, their feelings, their physicality, no matter how broken and crappy we think it is, God loves us and God cares for us. I don't know. I I, I get I go back and forth on this whole virtual world thing, but I keep going back to the fact that 
God doesn't love us if our avatar looks a certain way. He loves us broken, busted, and beautiful. I think that's what I love about this show, Mike. We come up against a story that is, in a way, a cautionary tale. And it's a cautionary tale that speaks to us because we are gamers. We are nerds. We are fans. This is what we love. And you could, we could come across and we could tell gamers, we could tell us, you know, get some discipline. <laughs> Mediate your play, which we all need. We need to hear that message. But that's not the message that we want to give. The message we want to give is a message of hope. That we were created to be material. We were created to see the sun. And we were created to touch each other. We were created to feel, not as an emotion, but as a physical reality. That's who we are. So embrace your physicality. Love your physicality. Play your games. Hey, I'm going to play my games. That's for sure. But don't, don't let yourself forget the whole of you. Oh, I'm like, that'll do it for today. Wow. I I, yeah, I got to say, I mean, I've always enjoyed what we do. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think this is going to be my favorite episode. I, yeah. <laughs> well, it's only episode six. We got a lot of uh, Okay, let me tag on with so far. There you go. There you go. All right, Mike, so how can folks find out a little bit more about you and maybe might even find a place where that poem is put? Oh, uh, I don't have the poem. If you go on my Facebook page... If you find me on Facebook, which you should be able to through our Game Store Profits fan page on Facebook, it's listed on there. Uh, it has all three poems that I performed, and 17 Minutes is right in the middle of it. Other than that, the big, the biggest places you'll find me right now are uh, the website that's kind of the hub of all my write, my written stuff is tinkerstory.com. You also can find me on Twitter as Shadow of Cyrano if you're looking for my day-to-day visions of life and godliness and if you want to hear me talk about all things steampunk as seen through the eyes of my uh fictitious mechanical man you will be on von Klockwerk. what about you luke you can find me at 52weeksofgeek.com and you can find me at guyscanread.com you can find me on google plus you can find me on twitter at luke navarro most of the time i'm basically just talking about cooking and video games and books so if you're into those things, come check me out. You can find the show at GameStoreProfits.com. You can search for us on iTunes. Hey, if you like the show, please leave a review or a rating on iTunes. And, and, and you can I did mention it. the Facebook page. We love the fact that there are people on our Facebook page. Uh, we've had some fun interacting with some people on there. In fact, one of our listeners uh, listened to the the game episode two i think it was where we talked about our favorite games she told me that she bought one and that she and her son just tore through once upon a time and just i love the fact that that we were talking about this game and and this woman and her son got to share a moment over story and video and uh card games so awesome we want to hear these stories and we want to hear what you're sharing too we want to hear what you're loving what you're playing what you're reading what you're watching what you're doing, the the places you're going, the conventions you're going to, the way that you're integrating your faith and your geekdom. Share. We want to know. You can do that at facebook.com slash game store profits. So until next time, always remember that God is the game master, and no matter how the dice fall, the game plays on. <laughs>